Coming up next, former NHL linesman Scott Driscoll joins the show. Blue Jays baseball is back. And we announce the winner for the February Keywords of the Week. All that and more coming up on the Smitty and Mitty Show. And now... Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Start your engines! 90% of the time, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. The show that's got everyone saying... You're so dumb. For real. With Smitty. Did I stutter? I'm Bali. And Mitty. I've not seen my willy in two years, which is long enough to declare legally dead. Big hosts with big opinions. This is the Smitty and Mitty Show. The Smitty and Mitty Show, episode 27 for March the 1st. I'm Smitty, he is Mitty. Big thank you to our sponsors, Gold Line Curling, The Choice of Champions, and Dave Middleton at Sun Life Financial in Kincardin. Life's brighter under the sun. Oh, this is first take. We're doing it well. Okay. Smitty Mitty Show, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The Smitty Mitty Show, YouTube. That's where we're going to find us. Go follow us. Mitty, keywords of the week. We're handing out the winner for the month of February later on in the show, so make sure you stay tuned to hear if you're the winner. Also, we'll give out your first keyword for the month of March. On the show today, we're talking to one of my refing idols, Mr. Scotty Driscoll, former NHL linesman, is going to be joining us. And hey, Blue Jays baseball is back, back, ladies and gentlemen. Back, back, back. You know how excited I was? First of all, Kara, my fiance, told me that she was going to be with a friend, and then I had the afternoon to just watch Jays games. <laughs> oh my good, it's like porn. It really is like porn. Spring when you hear training that. opening day, the fiance is out of the house. It the is, sun is shining. The sun is it's not shining. It's five degrees. I wasn't it's wearing overcast. a jacket. I, did, I didn't wear a jacket over here. It is a fantastic day to watch some Blue Jays baseball, and we got to see that over the weekend as the Jays kicked off spring training. Good to see him back. You know what really impressed me? Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Do you think if I showed up to my senior league down 42 pounds, people would make a big deal about it? <laughs> Down 42 pounds. What are you going to do to go down 42 it's pounds? It's impossible, I think. Like, you'd be down you'd be down to a regular weight. It'd be, you'd look great. You'd look great, my friend. Hey, you know, you know what would really help you get down 45 or 42 pounds? Going on some walks. You ever, you ever want to go on a walk at uh, maybe Springbank Park? I would love to you go ever, on a You walk ever love going to walk? Park. What I, if, it is fantastic. What if you went for a walk at Springbank Park with, with another human? What if you did that? That would be great. You want to go on a walk with me? I, not me. I'm thinking of one of the female types. Do you think no, you could walk no, with no, a female no. human? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> All right, a little uh, teaser there. Maybe you went on a female walk today. A female walk. <laughs> All right, let's not mess around too much. I want to get right into this interview. So Scotty Driscoll, former NHL linesman, did over 1,840 NHL games, three Stanley Cup finals, 150-ish NHL playoff games. I forgot my stats in front of me. Oh, I do have the stats. 185 playoff games right in front of me there. 150-something-ish. <laughs> but he is a gentleman who I've watched for a long time to try and learn how to do the craft. He is perfection in the craft for me. So let's just let's jump right into it. Mr. Scotty Driscoll joins us. Scotty, really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. Well, first, you know, it's been a long time since I've been able to do this. And since I'm talking to one of my, one of my idols in the refing world, I think I'm going to. What is he doing? Taking his clothes off. This is for anyone who's listening and not watching. It's confusing. Oh, he's got, he's got his shirt. <laughs> oh, nice. How does he look? How does he look? Amazing. 
I'm putting my jersey on because I've missed it. It's been it's been too long since I've been able to wear it. What number are you? Fifty-eight. I wasn't quite oh. wasn't quite good enough for sixty-eight. I saw the eight and I thought, well, what a what a great uh, what a flattering thing. But it really does look up to you. Yeah. You know what? When you when you go into this league, they just give you whatever jerseys left. And there's some guys that have the number hundred and four. So I'll take my fifty-eight and I'll run with it. Yeah, it's just gotta do what you gotta do. Scott, thanks uh, thanks for joining us. First of all, Mitty has raved about you about how great of a, an official you were and how great of a man you are so first of all thanks for taking the time out of your day to join us tell us from someone who isn't an official like myself you obviously played hockey growing up but how did you make that tra- transition and what got you into officiating well it's kind of a, a very funny story uh being from c4 small town uh, a lady there named joyce mcclure approached myself and two of my friends when i was probably grade 7 12 13 years old and said, would you guys be interested in, in getting into officiating? And I'd never given it a thought before that. Um, she said, we have no young officials to do the novice and the Adams. Therefore, you know, we have to get people to come from out of town. Without a town, you pay mileage. Uh, it just adds to the expense of the officiating tab. Uh, so myself and two of my buddies, we went to Clinton that year. We got our level one. Now, ironically, Seaforth had their arena torn down that year. It was... Uh, Theme that it wasn't fit to play in and we played out of an Astra. So most of the, the what we called Saturday morning, the house league programs didn't run. And uh, there was a team, a peewee team that played three games. So each of us worked two of the games because that's all you could work was house league. And I liked it. You know, it, it, uh, it was something where you're out. I'd been playing hockey. I was a, not a bad hockey player, but uh, you know, you go, you skate around, you're part of the action and then they pay you. So the next year I went to Brussels to get my level two. And then you can start doing the travel hockey. And that's where it really ramped up. You're doing some exciting games between those towns. Uh, even if it's just novice and Adam, like it's still, the parents are there, they're cheering on, the kids are playing hard. So really I fell in it by accident. I really enjoyed it. Uh, as I continued on uh, up through the ranks, I, I went to, to get my, my level 203, uh, which allowed me to do a little bit of phantom and, and midget uh, hockey and, even come playoff time, I get some games, tournament games. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, at the end of the day, they come in and they pay you. And I thought, this is a great little part-time job. Uh, eventually, when I was playing junior B, I started thinking about uh, what I was going to do for a real living. And I thought, what, what a better way to make a living than working in the National Hockey League. So I kind of did my research and realized I had to uh, to go to a referee school, the OHA school, to get accepted into the OHA. And it just kind of took off from there. So Quite by accident, uh, uh, the lady that uh, I owe a debt of gratitude is, is Joyce uh, McClure. She passed away a couple years ago. I made sure that uh, Joyce had a, a number 68 jersey signed to her especially, which uh, somebody just sent me a picture of her wearing it at a, a senior game, the first senior game they had in Seaforth, the Generals. She was wearing uh, the jersey that, that I had given her. So, you know, you come from a small town, you got to remember the people that helped you on the way up. Exactly, and I can't... I say this a lot when we get to talk to officials or when we're talking about, you know, hockey in the way I can't employ people enough to go out and, and try officiating if you really love hockey, because it teaches you so many things. I think even from a young age, how to deal with, you know, controversy, how to, how to ski, you have to be a great skater. It's a good physical activity. It's good money. It's just really good to get into if you missed it's the sport of hockey. I think it complements the game because you then you start to see the game from the official's side. Uh, I was playing uh, university hockey at Laurier and some of the guys that did our games were the guys I was working with in the UHA. I never ever once uh, like lost my marbles and I understand that people make mistakes and it's frustrating but 
until you've been out there and you've you've experienced it and you've tried your best and you've made a mistake you just don't understand that so i mean one night i have a nice little scar on my lip here i took a cross check to the face no call i just went you know skated by the ref and had said you know you missed that one no big deal i didn't make a big issue of it went and got stitched up and came back to the game so i i, I like that aspect it was kind of nice to to know the guys that were officiating my games and uh and lining them uh, i might have got the odd break uh one time i was working a game and or i was uh, playing a game and I got hit from behind in front of the net and I turned around and the ref didn't have his arm in the air and he kind of looked at me and he was a great guy, Rick Morphew. And he didn't really uh, see what happened. And so the guy that hit me was still standing there. So I cross-checked him and then I looked over at Morph and he didn't react. So I cross-checked him again. Morph <laughs> looked at me one more time and he goes one more. So I cross-checked him again and he said, okay, we're even. And we were. So that guy didn't hit me from behind anymore. I didn't get a penalty and uh, all was good. So. So take us to your first NHL game. The first time you break into the league, it's, I mean, it was a, a while ago, obviously you've been in the league for a long time and it was kind of different than how it's done now. So take us back to the journey up to the NHL and your first game. Uh, the journey was, it was pretty quick. Once I got into the OHA, uh, one of the things that was happening at that time. And I, I went in the OHA in 1989 was uh, expansion. The NHL was expanding. Every time they brought on a new team, they had to bring on officials. Obviously, they had to bring on players, coaches, team personnel, but they had to hire officials. Uh, there was also quite a few guys in the area that were getting uh, on in their careers and getting ready to retire, such as Ron Asseltine, uh, Leon Stickle, Bob Hodges, Ron Finn. Um, these were guys that probably retired in my first three, four, five years of the league. So the league was looking for you know younger officials. They hadn't hired a guy from Ontario since 1984. Uh, when I got hired in 1992. So that was a, a span of eight years. And they kind of try to geographically justify hiring officials. You know, if they're running, if guys are retiring from Quebec, they're going to try to uh, probably hire uh, the, the top Quebec prospects. So I was coming through 1989. I worked in the OHA, uh, uh, had a pretty good season, uh, worked uh, a game in the semifinals for the OHA Junior B, which was a real feather in my cap. The next year, now, I was, like I say, I was still playing. The next year, I had a trial with the Vancouver Canucks as a player. I was in tip-top shape. I came back. Uh, the I continued on working in the OHA while I played at Laurier. And the, OHI, the OHL hired me. I started working uh, some games there. Uh, not a whole lot, but I did a few, including the playoffs that year. And that's, I guess, when the NHL took note because I was invited to a, a seminar where they had uh, 14 top officials from uh, North America come in and they put us through our paces of fitness tests, the skating. We did some games and it was a, a year later after that, after the 91, 92 season that I was hired. So uh, like I say, it was pretty quick, but uh, uh, the timing was right uh, with expansion and the fact that they hadn't hired a guy from Ontario for a long time. Now for players, obviously you dream when you're growing up about getting to the NHL and getting to step on the ice for the first time, walking into these huge buildings. But as an official, you might not have realized it as early, but did it really hit you when you got down the ice for the first time that, wow, you're, you're really here. You're in a big building. Oh yeah. Like it was uh, probably my third or fourth year of playing junior B in St. Mary's. I'd be sitting on the bench uh, watching the game and I would, I would watch the officials. I would watch to see what they're doing. And, you know, that might've helped me, in my officiating when I was working uh, at the Lions of minor hockey or in the WA senior league. So, you know, around that time, I thought this would be a great career. I, I, I researched, there's only 11 full-time refs and, and 22 full-time linesmen, but there's only 21 NHL teams at that time. So, you know, around that time I started focusing my attention. I was still going to school. I wanted to get my degree. 
Uh, I was doing as many games as I could between the OHL, Junior B, uh, and uh, the Colonial League, which is a minor pro league. But when I was hired, it was like, wow, I can't believe it. In fact, my first professional game, other than working in the Colonial League, was in the American League on a Friday night. And then Saturday, I worked an NHL game in Boston. And I was uh, so nervous, uh, but it was, it was great. I had a great crew. Uh, I worked with Leon Stickle, who's uh, just a class gentleman. And he kept me loose all day. And even on the ice, uh, things went well. And, uh, you know, my, my boss, Brian Lewis, was there. I called a five-minute major early on in the game uh, against Pat Flatley for high stick and Ray Bork. So I was accepted uh, fairly quickly. And, and uh, like, I can still remember it was yesterday. And it's, like, almost, uh, you know, 29 years ago. So definitely, definitely, like, when you get that chance and you're out there, you'll never forget it. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. When I go to an NHL game, I rarely look at anything except for who the officials are. Like I remember I was in Tampa Bay and I saw Kevin Pollock was there and I was super excited. Same when I was in Toronto. Like I'm the weird guy that looks at the officials. But that high stick that you mentioned, from what I hear, Mr. Ferraro did not appreciate the call and it kind of started maybe a friendship that you guys turned into. Well, I don't know if it is a friendship. But, <laughs> you know, it, it ended it it ended up as a friendship, but that's just from proximity. Uh, raised between the benches. I'm a, I'm a, a friendly guy. I like to talk and, and raise, uh, raise a good egg. And uh, yeah, no, he, uh, my, I guess I could go back to when I was at training camp, my first roommate was Ron Asseltine and he was uh, the bear. And after one day of following him around everywhere, because uh, he took me under his wing, they started calling me cub for, as in the bear cub. And uh, I don't know how, but uh, the, the guys I worked with my first game, they were able to get my shirt out of my bag and they taped cub on the back. So when I was on the ice, the uh, guys were calling me cub and the trainers were calling me until I realized before the game that it was right there. So uh, they took it off, but I guess whether Shiki and, uh, and, and Leon were calling me cubby during the game, but Ray Ferraro turned that into chubby and, you know, chubby this and chubby that. So I'm a, I'm a big man. I'm sensitive about my weight. I always have been, but I'm not in a position to say something back to a, uh, to a player that's uh, in the NHL. So, Fast forward about a week later, I'm working with Gord Brossaker and he's like, how'd everything go your first game? I go, oh, it went pretty good. He, oh, I did have one issue. I had Ray Ferraro and, and I told the, told the story to Gordon. Gord says, we'll deal with that tonight. So early on in the game, I skate down and get the puck for nice and I come back and hand off to Gord. He goes, stop. So he's got his hands out and I stop and Ray Ferraro's there. And Gord says, Ray, my friend here tells me you're calling him chubby the other night. He's a big man. He's sensitive. He didn't like it. Call him chubby tonight, he'll pick you up and he'll body slam you over the boards. And Ray's eyes were as big as saucers. And, and the rest of the night, he kept picking the puck up and handing it to me going, uh, sorry about that. Sorry about that, guy. Sorry about that. But <laughs> I, I like to joke with him uh, when he's between the benches and, and bring that night up. And a few other uh, inc- instances we had over the years, and most of them uh, were, were just kind of, they're really funny stories. Like Ray is a, he's a funny guy. Um, and he was, he was great to me towards the end. He said a lot of really nice things about me uh, to on the air. And, uh, you know, I appreciate what he did. I went on the Ray and Dregs podcast too. So, uh, you know, it is what it is uh, at the end. We were friends, uh, definitely didn't start off that way. Yeah. It's usually how it happens. They start <laughs> off getting on top of you and then all of a sudden you're, you're with them all the time and all the time and you kind of build a repertoire and then you can joke around with them. That's, that's kind of how the things evolve, but that kind of leads me into one of my questions. I'm wondering how in the NHL you deal with that kind of thing with players coming at you like that. Cause we know in the junior ranks, like there's a line that when people go past that line, you can, you can do whatever you need to do to, to straighten that up. But in the NHL, it might be a little different. Well, when we first started way back when, uh, quite often we gave as good as we got. So if a player was 
yelling at me and getting in my face, then I would turn around, I would get his face. And, you know, you see it in baseball with the managers and the coaches and, and the umpires uh, kind of going toe to toe. Well, there was a way to get our message across to them. It depended who it was too, right? Like if it was a, if it was a star player, you just kind of, you had to take your lumps and they're going to disagree with you. And that's part of their prerogative. It's an emotional game calls are missed and, and they get upset. Um, we have, you know, senior guys. And, and that's one of the things I prided myself on doing the last few years in the league was I was looking after my younger guys. If I was out there and I felt that there was a guy trying to take advantage of him because of his uh, status being young, then I'd swoop in and, and I had one of two ways of fixing it. Either I kind of took over the battle and got in his face or I, you know, I would say, Hey, you know, just give him a break. Let, let talk to me if you have an issue. Um, probably the easiest way. And, and as we went along uh, and what our man or what our management wanted us to do was if the players being unreasonable, they're really hard to deal with and you, you just get tired of it. And there is a line that you draw in the sand. The easiest thing to do is to go over the coach and say, okay, excuse me, this player here is really annoying me and he is about to get a penalty. Now, I'm not sure if you want to deal with him and you want to tell him to stop or if he's going to continue, I will give him a penalty and that's going to make you upset. And nine times out of 10, even more than that, probably 99 times out of 100, that ended it. The coach would tell the player enough, you play your game, let him do his job. And then sometimes the coach would take over for the player. And like I say, there's, there's ways of dealing with it. Uh, I probably handed out one or two on sports, my conducts a year, maybe one or two time in misconducts. I think in the course of my career of 28 years, I might've thrown five, six guys out for verbal abuse. And half the time it wasn't even them abusing me. It was, they'd already abused another official and I was escorting them off the ice and they continued. So they're just, you can't deal with, you can't have that. And, uh, you know, one, one, the last time I handed out a 10-minute misconduct, it was after uh, I dropped the puck and the guy had said something to me. And I said something right back to him. And then at the end of the play, he came up, he skated by me, and he called me a piece of garbage. And now that's not the worst thing in the world, but he had been beaking at me all night. So I banged him. I gave him a two. And on the way to the bench, uh, he called me, you know, a, a worse name. So then he got a 10. Now, ironically, a 10 plus two is 12. There was 11 minutes and 45 seconds left in the game. <laughs> a very easy thing for me would have been to say, why don't you go to the dressing room and, and uh, get, you know, finish for it? But I said, no, no, sit in the penalty box. So I went over and there's a commercial timeout and it was Detroit. And one of the, the assistant coach for Detroit, uh, Dan Bosma, we played junior together in St. Mary's for two years. He just says, what do you say to Scotty? So I told him, I go, he called me a piece of garbage. And then he said something worse. So I gave him a two and a 10. And he says, okay, thanks. And then Jeff Blashold said the same thing. So I told him and then, up comes Nick Cronwell, who I just an amazing hockey player and a great guy. And he says, uh, Scotty, what do you tell you? What do you say to you? So I told him, he looks at me and he rolls his eyes and he goes, but you know, the game's almost over. Why don't you sell, why don't you send him to the dressing room? I said, Nick, I could very easily send him to the dressing room, but I think he's going to learn his lesson a little bit more sitting there for the next 12 minutes and watching us work. And you, you know, you play and me work. I think that sends more of a message. And he fist bumped me. He says, you're right. <laughs> Either way. So at the end of the game, uh, that was the second last game of the regular season. Then the game, uh, a player from Detroit came by and, and apologized uh, for his actions. And before the next game, the whole bench had called me over because I was in Detroit two days later. They called me over and they said, okay, he has to apologize to you. Can you please tell us when he apologized to you during the game? So he came up and he apologized and he said, oh, I was really frustrated. I, I'm glad you gave me the 10. I, I just wanted to get out of the game, which is crap. But anyways, it, 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 there's, there's just so many stories. Another way, and I had one young fella 
that was a rookie in the in the the NHL um, kind of say something to me and and we became engaged and and I told him you know what I'm out here as a courtesy and one of the rules in the that's not in the rule book under duties of a linesman is breaking up fights so I'm going to uh, tell you right now if you ever get in a fight I will not break it up I don't care how bad the guy's beating you up I'm going to stand there I'm going to watch the guy beat you up I won't cheer him on because that's unprofessional, but I'm going to exercise my right not to break up the fight. And it happened about two years later. He ran the goalie, a defenseman grabbed him and he didn't, the defense wasn't pounding, but he's choking him. And I stood there with my arms crossed and I looked down. I said, remember that conversation we had a few years ago? I, I'm not helping you. And the guy, it was, it was Carl Alsner that was choking him. And he's like choking him. He's looking at me and he's like, you're not getting in here. I go, no, I told him this guy knows that I'm not helping him out. So Carl finally let go of him as he went from kind of dark pink to purple and uh the guy sat up and to his right he never complained he never beeped after that he never ever once uh, chastised me in fact several times he picked the puck up in hand he learned his lesson so there's there's different ways of dealing with it but usually telling the coach is the easiest way and it's the most effective and everybody sits and they look at john tortorella and they think you know what a what a guy like he you know either you love him or you hate him but there's one thing that John Tortorella did not let his players do, and that was yell at the officials. And if you went over and said, John, this guy's causing me grief, John said, I'll take care of it. And John would, you know, typically tear a strip off the guy, but the message was received. So you look for that in a coach to, to have that, uh, to have that support. Yeah, I've done that before. Uh, former uh, NHL player Theo Peckham plays in the senior league now, and he's he was known for as a fighter. Like he was, a, he's a big boy, right? And there were some guys that try and pick on him and try and get a fight out of him. And I just go over and I say, "Look, I'm not getting in between it because <laughs> I'm not taking a punch from Theo Peckham. So if you're gonna fight him, you're gonna fight him until someone's down, and then I'll grab you. So you might want to second, you might want to think twice if you're gonna fight this guy. <laughs> yeah, early, really early on in my career, that's uh, a gentleman named Bob Hodges was a linesman. And he hated when guys got tough when we get in there. And Bob would actually say and look at me and say, get out of here, we're, we're leaving. And we'd skate out and we'd let them settle it as men. And there's talk about wanting to, players just sat there and they're, you know, like I say, eyes are as big as saucers or deer caught the headlight. They couldn't believe that that's what Bob wanted to do and did, but it sure, they, they weren't as tough because guys get really tough when, when a, you know, six foot four linesman comes in between them, all of a sudden they got a lot to say. So I even had one, one gentleman, I won't say his name, he was, uh, there was like a, a, and this guy had been bothering him all night. So a fight started, it ended up a two on two and then a three on three. And th this one guy was, he was too scared to fight. So, so the, the linesman grabbed him and there's a tough guy looking for a partner and the linesman yelled him, go, I got your partner right here. And the guy came over and grabbed him. Like he, he learned his lesson. So it's, we could be your best friends out there. We could be your worst enemies. And, and I, some of those guys just don't get that. Like they just don't understand that, that we do have, little things that we can do to help you out. And, and uh, you know, it's human nature. You know, are you going to help out a guy that's yelling at you all the time? Probably not. But then you take a classy guy like Jason Spezza, man, like he did great on face-offs. Uh, you know, I couldn't turn my eye the other way when he was, uh, if, if he, you know, high stuck somebody and I wouldn't say, no, no, it wasn't Jason, but um, you know, he made out really well in his face-offs and it's just human nature. So. Yeah, it's always interesting because in situations like that, you got guys that are, they might beak off to you or whatever, but you got to deal with it because you're going to have to deal with these officials for however long you're in the league. Like they're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. If you want to play in this league, you're going to have to see my face an awful lot. Yeah. And I think that, you know, by the end of being one of the elder statesmen towards the end of my career, I think I had 
earned and garnered the respect of the players uh, from what my, from my body of work, but just from my the way I could talk to them and, and try to reason with them. And and towards the end, I didn't you know battle with guys anywhere near as, as I I was when I was earlier. So um, I think that was just part of the respect level. And one of the a, a senior guy that I work with a lot that retired with me, Brian Murphy, he would basically say sometimes that's the path of least resistance. You know, admitting that you were wrong or something happened and you'll be better later. And um, you know, not, not necessarily engaging with them. So it took a while, but I finally learned. Now I want to take you to March 10th in Toronto. They, um, you know, wrapping up your career played uh, from what I hear a video, um, a tribute to you. What did that mean to you watching that? I mean, as an official, you don't garner, you don't think about getting the respect from a whole team, let alone a whole league, but you definitely achieved that. Well, even before that, uh, I had a, when I was in Las Vegas on, uh, in February, I think February 17th game, uh, George McPhee is the general manager there and he's from Guelph and he's a really classy guy. Uh, actually he's a team president now, but George was, uh, was uh, a great, like I say, a great person. And I don't know how he knew that it was my last uh, game, but in Vegas, I'd only been there for, <laughs> I worked, worked there Saturday and Monday. The only two times I ever worked in Vegas in my whole career, but he, they put up together a montage. So during the commercial timeout, I was sitting there, my wife had flown down to the game and I didn't really think anything about it, but all of a sudden they're going on uh, October the 10th, 1992, Scott Driscoll. And I'm like, Hey, they're doing a thing about me. And they, so the whole commercial was, was pictures of me and the story. And the crowd gave me a little bit of a clap. And at the end of the game, the whole team lined up and that ended with Mark Fleury or Mark Andre Fleury, gave me a big hug at center. And it was kind of on Twitter. So team started doing that. Uh, I know Ottawa sent a, put a picture of me up and, made an announcement during a commercial timeout and players were coming up. I had players giving me sticks, jerseys, name it. Uh, it was just really nice. I, I made a point of saying goodbye to the coaches because uh, for probably about my last two, three weeks, the coaches are the ones you really battle with. And most of the coaches in the league are guys that played in the league and I worked them when they're players. So I would make it a habit of my last commercial timeout. I'd skate by and say, it's been a pleasure working with you. Good luck. And, um, uh, that really meant a lot because I had some battles with a few coaches and then, you know, fast forward to Toronto. I did know that they were going to do that because uh, somebody in the PR department got a hold of me and said, would you mind sending us some pictures? Uh, we have a little clip we'd like to do. And I sure, I didn't think it'd be the whole commercial you know, length, but they were great. Uh, Brendan Shanahan came down in the room before. Um, I think it was leaked to him that as a young youngster growing up in Seaforth, I might've been a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. And my favorite player might have been Daryl Siller. So he came down and presented me with a 27 signed Toronto Maple Leaf jersey uh, by Daryl Siller with my name on it, which my daughter wore that night at the game. And uh, shot a little, like a video too, because Shani was a great guy. I got along very well with him on the ice. So, And uh, it, it really did mean a lot. Um, little did I know <laughs> that that was my last game. Uh, at the end of the game, the players all lined up. Uh, they shook my hands. It ended with uh, Jason Spetz and I uh, having a big hug at center. I'd signed him one of my jerseys and, and gave it to him because uh, he's just a classy guy. And I have a few sticks over in the corner there. Those are sticks that uh, some of them are from that night. Uh, Spetz, uh, Matthews, um, Marner, Hyman. Hyman even came down the room after to, to meet my family and take some pictures. So they were really good. They were a good group of young kids. You know, I wish them well. Um, they're just, even my second last game in, in Toronto, Marner came up and he goes, hey, Scotty, you around anymore? And I go, I got one more game here. He goes, well, thank God. And he winked at me. So 
you know, these are guys, they're multimillionaires. They, I'm just a, a plug out there. I'm in the entertainment business, but they were really good to me and they, they treated me uh, with respect. And I always knew I was retiring. I knew the game would go on without me and that's fine and dandy, but uh, you know, for them to, to, to do what they did and to show the acceptance I had from the coaches and players, I had an owner come in in one room. I had uh, general managers, uh, team presidents has come in. These are guys that some of them I played against, some of them I played with at various times, uh, but they, they showed me a lot of respect. And I think that's the best thing about hockey is it's a close knit community and uh, we look out for each other and, and uh, they, they made me feel good. And I don't regret the fact that I had to leave and, and uh, I'm happy and I'm, you know, loving retirement. So March 10th is a special night for me. Now you mentioned there March 10th, your final game in the NHL, NHL going on pause because of the pandemic, were you scheduled to have more games and was it weird to kind of have your career end on that note? Uh, I was scheduled to do three more games. I had, uh, when I, that was my 1,847th game and I had asked to do three more. I was supposed to go to Montreal. I was in Montreal when they, they pulled the plug in the season or they suspended it. Um, I had kind of worked it out with the scheduler that my last six of my last seven games were going to be original six buildings. And uh, he was, uh, he was great to comply with me. And I, so I was in Montreal. Then I was uh, going to be in Boston on the Monday and New York on the Wednesday to work my last game. They allow you to, to pick your last game where you want to work it and with the, uh, the crew you want to work it with. And that's probably my biggest regret that three, you know, close guys on staff that I'd asked to be there for my last ride. I didn't get, I didn't get that. Um, but you know what? The pandemic hit, people have lost their lives. People have lost uh, way more than Scott Driscoll. So when it looks back, it's really ironic that everyone assumed I, I would work my, would work my last game in Toronto and I end up doing that my last game in Toronto. So um, nothing, no regrets here. Now, maybe, maybe you don't want to answer it, but can I ask you who was supposed to be on your last crew? Who, who was supposed to be there with you? Sure. Yeah. It was going to be uh, linesman, David Breesbaugh. He lives in Guelph here. A great guy. Uh, the two referees I picked were Kendrick Nicholson from Milverton, another uh, small town kid. Uh, Kendrick hasn't been on staff that long, but uh, we formed a bit of a, a, a bond, him being from uh, Perth County and I'm a Huron County boy, but years ago, he used to go to the Dave McWayne CCM hockey school and I was an instructor there and he came and brought his jersey from when he was a little kid and I'd signed it. So Kendrick is uh, and his family, they're amazing people. And the other guy was Jake Brink. Uh, he's a uh, from Minnesota. Uh, he is just uh, one of the funniest guys that I've ever worked with. And uh, my, my family loves him. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had a road trip where we went to Ottawa, uh, Montreal, Toronto, and he flew it, but I drove it and then brought him to Guelph for a couple of days. And we went and watched some, some hockey games around here. He's just a really, really down to earth, uh, great guy. And I wanted him there for my last game. And, um, unfortunately it didn't happen so it is what it is well scott we won't take too much more of your time with my research there's 16 officials in the hockey hall of fame and i would not be surprised if we see your name floating around there sometime soon so well, there's absolutely no chance that ever happens <laughs> we have there's so many guys that uh they have they're they're way better careers and they're they're better officials than me uh that's a that's a an honor i think the last lines when they went in was ray scampanello 2004 he he worked his last games uh scampy was a guy that uh, really taught me a lot i worked a lot of playoff games with him he worked stanley cup finals that year it was his i believe 20th it was my first 
Um, so he's the last guy in there, but you know, two guys that come to mind would be Kevin Collins and Brian Murphy that, uh, that would have a great chance to get into the hall of fame as, as, as linesmen. Um, but there is no chance in the world that Scott Driscoll will ever be there. The only way I get in the hall of fame is when I uh, pay my 1250 and I get, a <laughs> I have a couple, couple things that I've donated to the hall of fame. Um, and if they know I'm coming, they're more than happy to put them out on display. One's a Jersey from, a from one of the uh, Hall of Fame games. And the other one is a picture of myself dropping the puck between uh, Wayne Gretzky and his youngest brother, uh, Brent. And the photographer that took that picture had five of them blown up. Like they're like 11 by 14s and gave them to me to get autographed by Wayne. And uh, he wanted two or three of them back and allowed me to keep one and Wayne to keep one. So I had an extra one. I sent it to the hall and, uh, they were appreciative of it. So yeah, no, thank you for that compliment, but it's not going to happen. So <laughs> that's fine. Like, that is the place for the, the best of the best. Uh, you know, Billy McCreary is, I think the last official that went in, he's a, and he's a referee. So 20 close to 20 Stanley cup finals. Uh, that's what gets you in the hall of fame, not three. Well, in my books, you are <laughs> the top of the hall of fame. So we'll, we'll, we'll end it at that. We really appreciate your time. Hopefully someday we can, uh, if I'm ever in Guelph, we can meet up and maybe I can get a Jersey uh, signed and we can throw it right up on that wall there. So we really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy your supper and we'll talk to you again. Great. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me on. Best of luck. Talk to you later. That was Scott Driscoll, former NHL linesman, joining us here, a native of Seaforth, Ontario, making it from the small towns all the way up to the big leagues. Uh, big thanks to him for joining us today. Mitty, I know he's one of your idols, one guy you looked up to. You mentioned it a few times in the interview, but always great to hear from guys like that. And we get it quite a lot here with guests on the show. They're really happy to come back and... For him, not really expecting that you were such a, a big fan. It was the coolest thing when I finally got his contact and I was actually texting him and he was sending me pictures of like former games he was doing and some highlights from his career. And I was actually talking, you know, we've got to talk to so many people, be it, you know, the normals, Ron McLean, um, Cabby Richards, Cassie Campbell, Pascal, like we get to talk to those people and it's always amazing when we get in contact with them. But especially when you have their phone number and you're actually directly texting somebody that I mean, wasn't idle to you forever. It was surreal. I had to call my mom. Like I called my mommy and I was like, mommy, mommy, <laughs> yeah, mommy. I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. What's happening right now. Like, like I even said a couple times, Hey, you know what? Go enjoy your night. I'll talk to you later. I don't want to bug you. He goes, Hey, you're not bugging me. We're just talking. I'm retired. So it, it was just, it was awesome. He, he's an incredible man. And uh, yeah, we, we try and be a welcoming place, but it, it was an amazing, try it was a great, a it was, place, it was yeah. a good interview for me. Yeah. Th- those interviews are always fun, right? Cause you get to hear about stories from a time in the NHL that me and you didn't get to really watch, right? And we get to hear some of those stories. And those, to me, are always really interesting. And, uh, Mitty, we saw over the weekend an interesting, you know, situation happen in the NHL with someone we also happen to know and someone that you got to know a little bit in Owen Sound, Mr. Bennington, getting into a little bit of a... uh, What was he doing? What would you even call that? It's not a fight, but it's like a dust-up, maybe? Like, But he... He drove, or he drove, yeah, in his car. No, he skated past the San Jose bench, and then somebody must have said something, right? I, yeah. I haven't heard any comments, and we haven't got any suspensions as of right now, but he went by the bench. He doubled back. He heard somebody say something. He gave them a shove. And then on his way, to, he gave somebody a throat punch with his, yeah. <laughs> with his blocker. I think that's what's going to get a suspension. Oh, for sure. Anything, right? And then... And then obviously Dubnik is standing up for his players. He comes out and says, "Hey, like I, I can do something about this. I'm not worried about fighting you." And, yeah. and they kind of get into it, and it was just strange. But it was he's weird. also the only goalie fight I've ever seen. 
he was in the OHL. He fully dropped the gloves with somebody behind the net. I, I actually kind of think it was Victor Mete. And the gloves were down, and he was feeding him. He didn't even get a penalty out of it. Like nobody had to serve a penalty for him. So it was, it was, it was incredible. But he, uh, you know, he's passionate, and he was getting pulled from from a game, and somebody said something. Weird close game too, though. Like I think it was four three when he got pulled. But like, what 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 does somebody say to you that makes you do that? I don't know. You just get frustrated. Just the right? emotions just right on edge, and sometimes that just happens. Like it wasn't anything aggressively dangerous right it's well, just i mean you don't want to go to a... the one blocker at center ice i mean that's like i said i think if anything he'll get maybe a game or two for that but i mean let's be honest he was just frustrated he got off the ice the whole thing lasted all of 15 seconds right like it wasn't anything massive it's just interesting because we you both you looked at me and you're like what was that yeah like, it was just strange was and I, I would I would suspect he maybe gets like a three games out of it is my guess because, you know, the NHL doesn't want that. They don't want the, the that look. But um yeah, it was it was it was very strange. I think if you have him on your fantasy team, it might be a good time to, to maybe try and trade him because I don't know if he's gonna get too many starts in the near future. It's going to be like a disciplinary thing, maybe. Yeah, it's something. And one other thing we talked about, we brought it up uh, off the air, is he has to skate to the corner to get off the ice, right? Because there's no um, alleys behind the benches there. And I think that's kind of what led to 90% of that, right? Is that he had to go to the corner to get off the ice after he's pulled. And that's how we got into a Dubnik and at center ice as well, right? I mean, it just, it led to problems. There's not enough room on the benches, I guess. Like, this is the NHL with nobody in the building. Yeah, make some room. No, no, I hear you, but I mean, it, it's not worth wasting a bunch of our time. So, it's many, many show you're listening to on podcast form. Remember to listen to us on five sixty CFOS Saturdays at ten a.m. Replay Sunday at six, and St. Mary's Radio four and four on Saturday and Sunday. So let's move on. And you know what? I really enjoy when things bring communities together and bring countries together. And I had the feeling on Friday driving home, listening to the final Tim and Sid broadcast. I had the feeling that millions of Canadians were sitting there and, and going through the, the roller coaster of emotions that I was. Yeah. And listen, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know us. It's no secret that Tim and Sid are guys that we looked up to and call it what you want, kind of modeled what we're doing after, right? They're role models to us. They're guys that we looked up to. And to see that kind of come to an end, obviously, it brings back all those fantastic memories. But it's sad, right? Maybe. I don't know if we'll get in trouble for this, but maybe we should post our very first logo that we had in college. Post yeah. that on socials. What do you think? Yeah, you think we'll get in trouble for that? It was a Tim and Sid rip it was, it was legitimately the emoji looks, and I think one of us had... One of the fighting mass on, yeah. One of the the but, I mean, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. Is that, is that what, what they, they say? say? I, I think, think so. that's what they say. I don't know. I didn't go to school for that, so. But you know what? It was great to see. I don't want to say it's great to see them come to an end, obviously, because you would like to see something like that continue on. But I mean, fantastic to see everyone reaching out on Twitter and saying how much this show meant to them, and how you know millions of Canadian kids and adults, for that matter, as well, would come home on their afternoons. And they would flip on Tim and Sid, whether it be on the radio, on TV, on Sportsnet later on in their career, and turn that on every day. And that that was their lifestyle. Yeah, right? and here here's the thing. I was never a Tim and Sid citizen. Like, I was never sitting down. Like, the, there, there were definitely people that every single day were watching and listening to Tim and Sid. I wasn't that person, but listening to that final broadcast that I felt like I had to listen to, um, it still brought back emotions because, you know, these guys first made their appearance when you know the incredibles was the number one movie in the country right yeah. 
Like, it's been so long. 17 years. I have grown up knowing those people, those two gentlemen um, reporting on sports in this country in their foolish way. And and I think that's the thing, right? They changed the way that sports oh, can be they, broadcasted they changed on, everything. They right? changed everything. And for people, you don't understand until you're kind of doing this. And we're doing it on a small scale, for sure. But you don't understand until you're doing this how hard it is to cover every single sport. Oh, and the thing, impossible. the thing I appreciate about them is... They they covered cricket in their early days. They yeah. they cover soccer every single week. These guys cover every single the amount of passion and time that went in to their broadcasts, especially being some gentlemen with families, right? Like it is so hard for that for them to do that, and it actually it did it, it brought emotions I didn't expect it to to see um, that era come to an end. And obviously they are what we what everyone wants to be, and what we kind of set out to be is. You know what? We don't want to stop on the radio. We want to become sports broadcasters in a, in a big sense. And what do you look at when you think of that? Tim and Sid are the high bar. Absolutely. So uh, best of luck to Sid moving on, and uh, hopefully, you know, I'm not going to say we'll get to see them together again in the future. But knowing those two, I wouldn't be surprised if we get definitely at least to see some cameos. Sid back yeah. on the show, but... and you definitely got to see their friendship. I think yeah. watching that, right? Like it was there was so much emotion between the two of them, and the memories coming back. Like they were, you could just tell that they're not just working buddies. And and Tim said, you know, sometimes we butt heads, and there were times where this almost stopped. Because we were butting heads so much, but that's what friends do. They 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 evolve through things, right? It's like us every Sunday when you man, come over. Man, we have definitely butt heads, but we butt heads a lot. We that have... one time we drove for two hours and wanted to kill each other. That was bad. I don't remember that. Uh, put it behind me. Put it behind me. Uh, Mitty, we got to uh, take a quick break here and uh, let the people who pay the bills get their fifteen seconds of fame. So we'll pause, come back here, finish off the Smitty Mitty Show this week with Blue Jays talk. Blue Jays baseball is back here on the Smitty and Mitty Show. I'm Dave Middleton, a proud Sun Life financial advisor, reminding you that your financial future has not been put on lockdown. I'm ready to help you save, invest, insure, and plan. Visit sunlife.com slash dave.middleton. Gold Line Curling, the choice of champions, reminds you to try curling and support your local curling club during the pandemic. And when you're looking for the best curling equipment, visit goldlinecurling.com. It's the Smitty and Mitty Show. Time for the Word of the Week. Smitty and Mitty Show, episode 27 for March the 1st, 2021. Mitty, it's time to hand out that Keyword of the Month winner for the month of February. As you know, you didn't do great spelling the words in the month of February, but hey, we had a bunch of people that got their keywords in anyways. And it's time to announce the winner. So I've got the names in a hat here. Same hat we used for the month of January with the same pieces of paper. A few different names. Mitty, I'm going to ask you now to pull out a name from the hat and pick our winner for the month of February. All right. What if I mispronounce someone's name? (laughs) That's guaranteed to happen. Let's see. Our winner for this month is Mr. Scott Navarro. Did I say that right? I think you did. Like Deonor Navarro. Man, what a great catcher. Former. One of my favorite catchers. Scott, congratulations. Really appreciate it. Thanks for throwing your name into the hat, literally and figuratively, this month. We really appreciate it. Everyone, keep in mind, we're doing it again this month. Your first keyword for March is coming up. So get those names in, and you have a chance to win a t-shirt. Yeah. It's time for that first keyword for the month of March, Mitty. And uh, we heard it on the radio show on the weekend. I'll give it to you again here. 
the key word <laughs> I smell is, is winner. So, you know how much more pressure there yeah. is here? Because I spelled it right on the radio show because it's so easy. If I was to spell it now, no, you got to spell it. You got to spell it right again. The, the key word, first one for the month of March, is winner. It's W I N N E R is that, winner. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Usually we just play like the one clip where I do it and and, and then because it it's surprise every time, right? <laughs> so then we could just play it on the podcast too. But because we had to do the giveaway, we had to do it separate. So it's still winner, and I still got it right. And it's still the easiest word you've given me. And I feel like you were just trying to play into my ego, and I actually don't appreciate it. Well, we did the month of February. I had some keywords that were tough to spell, albeit they made no sense at all. Like I went way off to try and Man, find do you some remember of these the, words. You did the one of them. You went spring training's about to start. There's two separate leagues. One's the Grapefruit League, and the, the other cactus one is league. the Cactus League, which is played in Arizona. Arizona has a city named Phoenix. I was like, holy <laughs> crap! We went on a journey to get that one, <laughs> and you still butchered it. Yeah, I'm dyslexic. We talked about this last yeah, night. Thanks we, for making fun of me. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Okay, we're moving. Let's not bring, let's not bring that up anymore. Mitty. Blue Jays baseball is back, and we got to see it over the weekend Sunday as Blue Jays baseball made its return to our TV screens, although it wasn't the Blue Jays network playing the game. That's one thing that bothered me so much, man. It's going to bother me throughout the spring, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to let you touch on this because I it's it's your profession. It's what you went to school for. So, I mean, it hits you more. Obviously, I'm upset that there's places like like the Angels that are broadcasting every single game, and the fact that the... Blue Jays network um, is being done from Florida this year. You would think they'd want to work in some of their uh, their gizmos, you know, gizmos, g- yes. get ready Techni- for the broadcast. Technological gizmos. Yeah, their techni gizmos. And they just decided that they're only going to play, I think, 10 games, and seven of them are actually by other networks. And we yep. saw the Yes Network today. So, yeah, it's disappointing, but I want to hear what you want to say. Yeah, it, well, it's frustrating. I know a lot of people are going to say the same thing about the Blue Jays cutting the radio this season, and yeah, it's frustrating. It's been the soundtrack of, I know your summer, my summers as well. I prefer to take in Jays games in the radio, to be honest with you. I would prefer sit out in the backyard and listen to a Blue Jays game, whether it was Howarth or, or Wagner calling. Um, I would rather sit outside and listen than watch on the TV, but it's going to be different this year, not to take anything away from Mr. Showman. I think they'll do a fantastic job. But Look, we don't have to do that. You, it's going to be tough. You don't have to say, hey, Buck and Dan are going to do a great job, because everyone knows I think they're they're two of the best broadcast guys in television. But there's such a difference between TV oh, broadcasts and radio broadcasts. A huge difference. It's it's a difference in how you call it. It's There's so many differences in how you prepare for the game as well. I mean, you're, you're painting a picture on the radio. and I, I, It's frustrating because I looked back at 2020, a spring training that obviously got cut short. But the Blue Jays and you know Rogers were scheduled to carry 17 of the Jays' 33 games on TV. All of the games on the radio network every spring training game, right? And guys like you who drive for a living, you could listen to the Jays games. One o'clock on a weekday, you could turn on the Jays games on the radio. We don't get that this year. Only three games for the Jays are on the radio. Ten of them, like you said, on the TV, and seven of those are just coming from other networks. Yeah, we don't want to not like bog on this for too long, but you're right. I, my brother and I used to play baseball outside as kids, and we would have the Jays game playing on the radio beside us. Like We, we wanted to be outside, and to hear um, Jerry, like his calls were... His voice was it, it just meant something different because he was he was the play by play for so long. That's that's all yeah. I'm trying to say, right? And and he did such a beautiful job of making you understand what was going on in the game. And there's a different feel when you're doing TV because you don't there's this thing called letting it breathe and everyone knows what it is, right? You, me telling you what that is, you can yeah. you can assume what it is. Like when the Bautista home run goes out, 
you don't have to say anything. Yeah. The crowd is saying everything for, for you. For a good 45 seconds to a minute. You just don't It's talk. the best way to do it. But on the radio, you cannot do that. Because no. I'm going to be wondering what the hell is going on. So it's just yeah, so different. See. And it's going to mess with Dan Shulman and Buck Martinez. They're going to have to change some things around to, to get it onto the radio. It's a, it's a weird decision, especially when we know that Dan is staying north. Or he's going to come north to do broadcasts from here. Buck is down there right now. But if they're going to do broadcasts from Canada, or at least one of them. I don't understand why you can't do a radio broadcast from here. Yeah, it's tough to see. But, hey, Mitty, we got a lot to complain about, but let's just talk about what we're happy about. And Blue Jays baseball is back, and we got to see them again this past weekend. Like, it, it, it was exciting to see the Jays back on the field. And you get this feeling every single first game of spring training, right, where you're just like, it's back, it's back, and everyone's posting on their Snapchat stories, and everyone's tweeting, and People love to see the Jays back in action. Yeah, the upsetting thing is like a week later, then you're going to be like, why are they still playing spring training games? Like yeah. it gets so tedious for them to play so many spring training games, but it is exciting. You know what's really exciting? Vladimir Guerrero does not look like a sumo wrestler anymore. No, he actually like... Sorry, I'm you, not, I, yeah. I want to point out I'm not fat shaming the man. He is, <laughs> he, is, he is an athlete, so I expect him to be in better physical condition than maybe I am. Yeah, but uh, for Vlad, he looks like a completely different person right if you had someone who didn't know who vladimir guerrero jr was and you showed them 2020 vlad and 2021 spring training vlad you might not know they were the same person and we knew he'd lost all this weight we talked about it before but the thing that's really surprising is how muscular he looks like especially his shoulders right he looks so much bigger and his swings like he flew out to left field in the game, but it just looked like such a beautiful, it looked like such a beautiful swing for the first year. And you know what? Even Bo Bichette, his first at bat, I think he had 14 pitches and he had an incredible at bat. And this is what I'm actually taking out from one game. I'm going to do that thing where we reach way too far after one spring yep. training game. Yep. I think that the Blue Jays and the Yankees are going to be head to head to head to head to head to head in this division all year. And I think it's going to be the Yankees chasing the Blue Jays. I think that this Blue Jay team is better than the Yankee squad. As long as their pitching can hold together a little bit, I think the offense is so much better. And we're going to, of course, like you said, we'll do the reach. We'll, we'll talk about the Jays one game into spring training 2021 and try to break it down as much as we can. Was there anyone other than Vlad losing 42 pounds that looked really good to you on day one? Anthony Kay looked incredible starting that game. He was popping hard. Um, he perfect. He threw a perfect game against the Yankees to start the year, granted. Not hard to do with guys pulled, seeing. Yeah, pulled him. Exactly. How Ridiculous. Charlie Montero. I'm, I'm always, Charlie is always on my shit list. But he, I mean, yeah, he he looked really good. Uh, obviously, Bo Bichette looked really, really good at the plate. And he actually has lost some weight too, or at least gotten to better physical Stronger, condition, yeah. right? Rowdy Telez, a guy that we're looking at as, is he going to get to play that, you know, that DH first spot or first base with, with uh, Vladdy? Is he going to be able to go back and forth there? And he had a double. He had a single. He... Drove in some runs. Exactly. He looked really good. And here, okay, here's a question for you. The fact that the Blue Jays decided to just tell Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that he is playing first base and not give him a shot at third base, do you think that affects the ability to re-sign him? Uh, That's tough. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I know it's tough. That's why I asked you. You bring the tough questions to the table, Minnie. I'll give you that. Do I think it affects the Blue Jays' ability to re-sign him? I I don't think it will, to be honest with you. And... I say that because I believe that Vlad knows what this team has, potential-wise, and who knows what it's going to bring in the next few years, right? I mean, things could change so drastically, but I think this offseason bringing in guys like Springer, that shows 
from a management's perspective, it shows players that we want to win and we believe that guys like you, Vlad, are guys that are going to help us win. It'll be interesting because it all depends to me on how good of a season Vlad has. Right? You know, I'll take it the complete opposite way. In a uh, the Zoom conferences that were going on, a uh, friend of the show, Ben Nicholson-Smith, was talking to Boba Shett, and they talked about the extension for Tatis and how would he be open to that kind of extension, and he kind of said he would, but everyone mentioned that it, it didn't sound like they were going to get a hometown discount. Yeah. Like, he wasn't going to just take a pay cut to stay here. That's what I think they're losing, is if you let Vladimir Guerrero Jr. play third base, get his reps, potentially be able to play third base if he's up to the level, and then move him, he's more than likely to very, very much enjoy this organization that helped him grow and gave him those opportunities. Now to say, no, you're a first baseman. I know you came in 42 pounds lighter. I know that the Yankees network and Dave Cohn is is just talking the ears off about how good you look, but we're not even going to give you a shot at third base. I know for me, when I worked so hard to get into that good of shape, for you to give me a chance to play third base, and then you tell me I'm not, I'm not doing you any favors. Yeah. I guess time will tell, right? Like, we'll see. I, I really think it all depends on the on-field success of this Blue Jays team, right? I think it depends how good this team does, if guys are going to want to stay. And but I think that's even worse. Run, if they are in the running, guys will want to stay. Just quickly on this, I think that's even worse. If Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has the breakout year that we expected him to have as the number one prospect in baseball at, at, at his time, then he is more he is less likely to sign that big contract. If he still struggles for a couple of years, then you could maybe lock him into that eight or ten year deal because hey, you where else are you gonna potential. go? Yeah. Where else are you gonna go? Right? But if he's succeeding, then you know there's gonna be bidders for him. There's gonna be tons of bidders. And you have taken a step back by doing this. But I actually I wanted to ask you one question because we saw some fans there. Really weird because we could hear one just drunk obnoxious yeah, Yankee Yankees fan. fan. I mean, come on. A drunk obnoxious Yankees fan? What is that? But it never happens. But we heard him in the crowd yelling, and I'm wondering, would you prefer the Blue Jays playing in Dunedin, being able to have some fans, or to play at the Rogers Center with absolutely no fans? I think I'd rather them play with no fans. I mean, how many fans down there? Like, let's say the Jays have 20% of the capacity in I think Dunedin, it's about right? 3,500. Something like that. Let's say the Jays are able to have that capacity in Dunedin. First of all, it's not a whole lot of people. A couple thousand right? Like that's the amount of people that's going to be in the ballpark for that game. They're probably not going to be Jays fans to be completely honest with you, right? Especially if you were playing someone like the Yankees, there might be more Yankees fans than there is Jays fans there because all the Jays fans are stuck on the other side of the border, right? They're stuck up here in Canada. I think the Jays would honestly be better off and let's shove away the financials for a little bit. They'd be better off in Toronto if they can, or even back in Buffalo. I think that baseball was the worst affected by not having fans because we're used to hearing that chatter in the background, the roar of the crowd on a base hit, you know, the sarcastic applause on a, on a weekly hit base hit. We're used to hearing those things we didn't get to. And that's, I think even having 3000 fans is going to really bring that atmosphere back because it was just completely missing. That artificial sound just didn't do it for me last year. So basically I want to say that I would, I I would rather have that this team in Dunedin playing in front of 3,000 people than playing in an empty building that just echoes, 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 echoes. But as we wrap up our Blue Jay talk, we're going to throw that up on social media. So please tell us what you think. Should the Blue Jays, would you rather the Blue Jays playing at home in front of no fans or in Dunedin in front of limited fans? Let us know. It's going to be a Twitter poll. It's going to be up on Twitter. It's going to be on our social media. So go there. Smitty Mitty Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Check that out and give us a vote.
Mitty, we could talk about the Jays for hours if we wanted to. I'm so happy that the Blue Jays are back just because now we have, like, there's sports. There's sports going on, but we are so good at baseball because that's what we grew up doing. Yep. That, man, and it's not like, like, we could go weeks without Leafs, right? Without a Leafs talk because really, like, they're winning. It's great. Yep. But the Blue Jays happen every single day and there's always something to talk about. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. More Blue Jays talk to come on the Smitty Mitty Show in the coming weeks as well as we'll bring on some people to talk about the Jays season. We'll bring on some exclusives to talk about how we think the Jays are going to do. We'll even bring on our producer voice guy to talk about how we think the Jays are going to finish this season. Lots to come. We decided that starting the season, we're going to do a preview show. We're going to release something special for you guys with our producer, voice guy, Kevin Hillsden, will be joining us so that we could talk Blue Jays, Blue Jays, Blue Jays. Mitty, that does it for us here on episode 27 of the Smitty and Mitty show for this Monday, March the 1st. If that's when you're listening, you could be listening later. That's why we don't usually do the dates. But episode 27, big thanks to our you sponsors. just do like an input yeah. now for, <laughs> input date yeah, here. for March and then just stop so they can say it. If you're listening on the 2nd, then happy March the 2nd. But uh, Mitty, that does it for us. Big thanks to our sponsors, Goldline Curling, the choice of champions, and Dave Middleton at Sun Life Financial Inc. Oh, Life's brighter under the sun. We get to go and see you on the curling ice next week. I am so excited. I have That's going to be fun. I right? have the tightest pants for you to wear. Oh, I have so disgusting. many surprises. Disgusting. I am so excited. I am so you're going to want to go to our social or our YouTube page, the Smitty Mitty show that will be up eventually. We're going to get it recorded and then this weekend and then it's going to be up there. But if you're not following and you're not subscribing to it, you're never going to know it's there. So head there. Big thanks to our guest on the show today, Scott Driscoll, for joining us. And, of course, like we mentioned there, our producer, Kevin Hillsden, for uh, making us sound fantastic every week. Mitty, I'll see you again soon. And for you listening, we look forward to talking to you on Episode 28 of the Smitty and Mitty Show. Mm-hmm.